welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and today in the studio, we have David with his stepdaughter, Jasmine Yohai. Hi, David. Thanks, Tom. Um, I'm excited to have Jazz on the show. She is my stepdaughter. I've known her for many years. We've worked together. We've been at the Omega Institute together. She's been a major factor in the success of the workshop. So she will explain to you exactly how she got to where she's getting to. And she's also a big part of the workshop going forward. The Omega workshop, as many of the listeners know, is based on awareness, hope, forgiveness, and play. And it turns out that play is actually one of the end answers to chronic pain because your brain's in a different spot. And it's not obsessive play to avoid chronic pain. It's simply play for play's sake. But also taking that attitude into day-to-day work. Um, Jazz started out as a dance major. She can introduce herself to what she does now and how she got there. But um, welcome, Jazz. We're excited to have you on the show. Thanks, David. Yeah, as David mentioned, I started as a dance major and how I got to where I am today as a housing coordinator uh, for helping homeless people in Oakland uh, was an unusual trajectory. I started as a dance major and not knowing exactly what to do with my life, I started to follow one of my greatest mentors, Anna Halperin, who had a a dance movement therapy program in Marin, which I had a joint master's degree. Right. And that led me to also then work with David. So using this expressive arts therapy training, I was able to utilize that in the workshops that David runs. And then in my day-to-day life, I started to try to implement those practices uh, in a mental health facility, which I found to be very challenging. And ultimately, why I got into housing was I noticed that many of the people that were in these mental health facilities were homeless. So even if they were went through a major transformation, not to say that my movement workshops were transformative, but they were doing them anyway, because it was a part of the program, but they would go through some kind of transformation at these centers, but then they didn't have stable housing when they were discharged. So they would just go straight back to shelters where they would start to use use again, have a mental health crisis again. And it was a cyclical thing that all the people in Santa Cruz kept on kind of coming back to the facility and nothing was ever changing because they didn't have stable housing. So I figured it was very, um, you know, I got really burnt out. That was the first time I've ever felt burnt out um, because we were coddling these people at the facility and they weren't getting anywhere. And they were seemingly getting some to some level of understanding and kind of growing, but then going right back into the same triggering um, kind of, they were placed right back into a survival type mode where they're, maybe their drug dealers are around the corner or whatever it may be. Um, they weren't getting anywhere. So focusing on housing seemed to be, you know, one step up the ladder, okay, this is actually a systemic issue that I want to focus on. I'd like to jump back in the conversation a bit about, it's unusual, I'd like to jazz actually to explain her background was in dance. She's a very talented tap dancer to start out with. Then she went to be a dance major at a quite a professional level. And then so, you know, 
she was told by lots of different people, don't take a dance major because there's no future in it. So what's happened is it turned out that her skill set turns, turns out to be an incredibly value aspect of actually healing. And I'd like to, to the listeners maybe consider listening to the podcast that I did last week on anxiety. The anxiety is simply a chemical reaction. It represents elevated stress chemicals. And it turned out that we, what we call somatic work is a way of actually calming down the body's stress chemicals. So it turned out that her background in dance really actually is a major healing factor in chronic pain. We call it somatic work. And so I'd like to go back to the fact, remember the days we were telling you to not take a dance major? Do you remember mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. Chance? Yeah, no future. Right. And, <laughs> and per the usual course, why she didn't actually listen to us. Yeah, you should have tried reverse psychology on me. <laughs> Right. So I'm just curious. So you took dance at Hunter College for what? Is it four years back there? Two years? No, because I I went to three different, uh, actually four different university oh, colleges. One was Italy too, right? Was that part of it? There are two different schools in Italy, and one of them was <laughs> a dance. You're expensive. Well, Hunter College is public and actually wasn't as expensive as okay any of the other right. schools. We're off the so I was at Hunter College for two and a half years, but also I faced a lot of challenges there too, because being a dance major is brutal. Even in a, school, in a public school setting, being in New York City, studying dance, uh, if you don't fit into a particular mold, you just don't belong. What do you mean? Um, What's the mold? The mold is ex- extremely, been technical, having many years of technical training, which I didn't have. Can we go back to the thin part? Yeah, so I have a story about, I was actually taken off a repertory piece based on my weight. Really? Okay, and what was the conversation like? Um, One of my fellow students was in charge of the costumes and was talking to, this is a professional dancer and then in, New York City, and she was telling that the the choreographer, this professional dancer who was setting the piece on us, we all auditioned to be a part of it, and I got in, and she was talking about the costumes. She's saying, oh, Jasmine is going to need her costume to be a little bit bigger, and I've struggled with my weight my entire life, and I've had, I've, you know, struggled with eating disorder my entire life, so being in a dance program where you're so focused on our bodies was also really anxiety producing. Right. But basically when they said, Oh, Jasmine has to have a bigger costume. Well, I'm cutting her anyway. Oh, great. So how did that feel? Really bad. (laughs) bad. And that's why I, um, luckily I had one teacher that was able to point me in the right direction. And what did he or she do? She, convinced me to move back to California. Really? Kind of. Did you, but you have a dance degree though, correct? I still, I I graduated, yeah. With a dance major. With a dance major, but she basically told me, you're from California, Anna Halperin is from California. Anna Halperin has a philosophy that you are not meant to look like any other person but yourself so you're not meant to dance like any other person but yourself so it's not even interesting to try to mimic the way someone else's dances so why would you force yourself to be 
a particular way that doesn't feel authentic to you. Right. And that's why Anna Halperin and her daughter Daria Halperin started the Tamalpa Institute, which is an expressive arts therapy program that's also linked up with the university. So you can get your master's and do this training program at the same time. And that's what I decided to do. Anna Halperin kind of, well, I asked her what I should do when I first moved back to California, I started to work with her. She said, why wouldn't you go get your master's right now? I was like, I don't know. I just graduated undergrad and I never even thought about getting my master's. And she said, well, what, what other better thing are you going to do with your life? It's like, I don't know. <laughs> did, you, did you get your master's from Tamalpa? Is that through Tamalpa? So Tamalpa and Meridian University have a I joint program. So you could do just Tamalpa or you could do just Meridian, but they just, I, I was actually in the piloted group okay. where they were joined and I was the only person going to both at the same time. Right. So what I find remarkable from my perspective, which has turned out to be a remarkable experience for me personally, is that um, and you, you did Tamalpa for what, a year and a half or so, three different sessions or four? So I did Tamalpa for a nine-month program, five days a week. Okay. So I, I wasn't working. I moved home. I lived at my dad's house. Okay. And I commuted to Marin every day for a nine-month period. In my car. In you David's car. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> so what was the essence of what you learned at Tamalpa about movement and therapy? So at Tamalpa, we really um, learned that there are a lot of different modalities that can help you understand yourself and your life from different angles. And, that, and so they utilize movement, uh, visual arts, poetry, different uh, expressive arts avenues to uncover or I guess to make conscious the subconscious. And that's really was the, the whole philosophy is that uh, it's the, called the life art process. So, um, so you, by utilizing these different modalities, you can learn and discover things about yourself that you wouldn't otherwise know. So Jez, at Tamalpa, can you explain the essence of what you learned there about somatic arts, but also about yourself and what changes took place in you based on the somatic experience. Because the somatic work is actually essence what we do with our workshops, right? Right. So to break it down, I would say the first uh, session, the first three months that I was there, it, we were only focused on ourselves and our own healing okay. and our and where we're at. And in a lot of ways, it um, was mirrored in my grad school program as well, that in order to be able to hold space for another person, you really need to understand who you are and where you're coming from. Um, or other, you know, otherwise things can get really messy. So the first three months um, of this intensive program, we were focused on ourselves. We were utilizing different modalities um, of expressive arts, including movement, mixed with drawings, I mean, and mixed with spoken word. I can give an example. We might have been asked to, I mean, in our workshop, we use Tamalpa style scores. Right. So like the open and closing score, where you start really, really, really subtle movements of open and closing and and then you start to and you start to exaggerate that movement more and more and start to notice how that makes you feel 
And once you start to get a tune of how different movements make you feel, how when you're really open, how that makes you feel, when how you're really closed, how that makes you feel, you might gain some insight on how you, how you're feeling when you're when you're feeling confident and open. It might feel really vulnerable and scary, and it might feel actually a lot more comfortable to be closed off. And that was definitely my case when I was going into this process that I was very insecure and really didn't understand how this work was going to translate into my life. And there's a pretty big difference in Tamalpa. So then for the second half of the program, we solely focus on how we, this work would translate into our life. Some people that would translate, meaning they would do it, they're performing artists and they would use, utilize this process in their um, dance companies or whatever, which is actually something that I've also been doing with my dance pursuits, right. we utilize this from alpha process. You do? Yes, because it's really, it's so much more effective to, to watch a dance performance that's solely created by the dancers in it. So it's really authentic movement and it's movement that feels really alive to everyone performing it. Everyone has a connection to the movement because it was all created together. Let me make a comment that you might correct me on. So to me, what it comes with chronic pain is that we know that emotional pain and physical pain are processed in some part of the brain. It's also been really clearly shown that if you don't allow yourself to feel emotional pain, it is going to manifest as physical symptoms. And so the key is, one of the key issues we call neuroplasticity, where it actually stimulate your brain to change, which is awareness. You have to become aware of the emotion, separation, and redirecting. But you have to allow yourself to feel in order to be aware of what is. Is that a fair assessment of what you did at Tamalpa that you actually were able to feel what you were thinking? That you're embodying your consciousness? Yeah, I mean, and also what I said before was that and also allowing the un the unconscious mind to come forward in different ways that you wouldn't be able to really get to by talking about how you're feeling. Right. Because talking about how you're feeling can only get you so far. We only have so many words to explain how we're feeling. However, if we are drawing a picture and all of a sudden you're, I mean, I guess really what Chanalpa taught me in essence is to be curious about yourself. Right. Be curious about yourself. Be, you become curious about humanity because there's always something more to discover and it's interesting. And we were, we would have a lot, we would do performances for one another that would be, it would be evocative. And also vulnerable. And really, really vulnerable <laughs> and really scary. I mean, I, sometimes I would be afraid to go into the classes. Really? Especially with certain teachers because they would just put you up in front of everyone and just, it felt like you were naked. Really? Because you would have to sing sometimes. Oh, I'm, we're good at that. <laughs> David is not good at that, <laughs> but he did do, that. He, but he has done that. Right. Talking about being vulnerable. Class. Right. Well, that's a different, we should have a different conversation. We should have a high school we podcast. We should have a high yes. school podcast for sure. Anyway, I wanted to fast forward to the Omega workshops. Um, Babs and I started this with, the, <clears throat> with Dr. Fred Luskin in 2013. And then I think it was 2015, Jazz came on board. The last three or four workshop has been my wife, Babs, Jazz's mother, who does rhythm. Jazz does the expressive arts work. And then myself doing the didactic work. It's a very structured environment based on awareness, hope, forgiveness, and play. 
And what has been surprising, I use the word even shocking, uh, to Jazz a comment on her observations, is that we've consistently seen most people in the workshop experience a significant shift during the workshop. When they go back to the triggers at home, of course, they go back to their pain, but they've tasted something different. Their brain is actually connected with something that's different. They feel incredibly safe. And I'm not, Jazz doesn't take compliments very well, but I'm actually going to give her a compliment. Is that the workshops changed dramatically when Jazz came along because she has a very great presence about her. You watch, she walks in a room, people just are comfortable being around her. And it, you just can't make that up. It just sort of happens. So her presence in the workshop made a huge difference. And then the exercises she, that she came in with the approach was remarkably common to people. But we think the reason why people shifted so dramatically is that they changed body chemistry from stress profile, which increases nerve conduction, increases the pain, to feeling safe, which changes the body chemistry to oxytocin, the love drug, dopamine, the reward drug, serotonin, et cetera. So we think there's a great significant chemical shift occurring. It's the only way we can explain this, but it was consistent. So I'd love Jazz to talk about just what she's seen at Omega, what her contribution has been, and why she thinks it's so powerful. Okay, well, initially I was really excited to be invited to come to Omega because I had just finished this Tamalpa uh, intensive nine month program. So I was really, I was really excited to kind of utilize it and see how that would work in, in practice. And it was really nerve wracking to guide people in movement exercises. I would say guiding people through visual visualizations and body scan and getting people calm and comfortable. That is something I'm used to because I also have a yoga teacher training and I've been, a, I was a yoga teacher in New York. So that part wasn't as scary as the movement part. Right. And I was unsure how people would respond. And would, and would you say people in chronic pain don't, they're, they're, they're disconnected from their bodies to a large degree? Right. So, and also there are some people in our workshop that were really, I mean, they had very severe physical limitations. Right. So I was unsure. However, when we did do this one movement exercise, we followed it with a haiku, a poem, and we had everyone go around the room and say their poems. And it was really powerful yeah. what people had to say about that. And it was surprising. I mean, and it was we were, shocking. We were, yeah, it was shocking. So I felt from that moment forward, I was like, yeah, I think I do have, I can contribute to this in my own way. And it makes a lot of sense when you think about the, when you talk about the neuroscience of things to engage in a creative process is engaging in a new pathway. So if you're doing art, if you're moving your body in a way you never have before, you're doing something new. And that ultimately seems to be a positive thing for someone in chronic pain. Right. I mean, or for the, anyone in general, to be honest. Well, I mean, the thing in chronic pain, you're literally trying, the brain changes every second. We call it neuroplasticity. And what we're doing is that you can create new pathways around old pathways, new circuits around old circuits, but you also can connect to prior play pathways, but also just using and learning tools just to simply calm down. Because as you decrease your stress chemicals, you actually decrease that sensation of anxiety. And I'll give Jazz a choice because I preach this all the time. What part? About the mental pain versus the physical pain, that I think the mental pain is a bigger problem. 
can actually be helping people calm down and feel safe is the essence of the solution. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, because, yeah, I think so. But what because it it's really not about the physical pain. Right. We find out that the sustained exposure to unpleasant thoughts and emotional pain creates the same response chemically as a physical threat does, but, but humans can't escape their thoughts. We have sustained levels of stress chemicals, which translates into physical symptoms. And what we do at the workshop is very, it's very interactive. There's actually no even conversation at lunch that happens without a structured conversation around it. What we get from the first year is more and more sharing. And we found out that at the end of the day, in a structured environment with tools to calm down, people actually heal each other. Wouldn't you think? I mean, I, I, I go to the workshop anxious every time. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. And I literally, the last year, I think, was our most successful year by quite a bit. But and what do you think contributed to this, the success this year? So I think that there are a lot of factors that make it successful. One of them is that I think being in that environment, having people in a, in a safe space, and then having people also connect in a safe space the connections were really, especially for people that are typically so isolated. Um, Cause what did you just say? Were you just talking about that? Well, yeah, people connect with each other and I think people heal each people other. People heal each other. Right. That's what, so I think that, I think progressively throughout the years, we have gotten more and more relaxed in right. how we're like facilitating. And then also after hours, I mean, last year, we had an impromptu karaoke party, which some people said was their highlight in the whole workshop. More than my lectures? More than your <laughs> lectures. But you don't have to take it personally. It's not, not about you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but do you want to, do you want to talk about a couple of people that you saw this last year? Cause you know, Mark came there for the third time. Right. So Lucinda was that her second or third time? Second. second. And then another person came the second time. Um, and, yeah, just, you want to talk about her and the karaoke, what happened with that? I mean, the karaoke night was really magical because, I mean, we, and some people were um, immediately, they said to me straight up, nope, I'm not doing karaoke, They're, we're not drinking beer, so I can't do it. <laughs> I didn't hear that part of it. Is that, yeah, well, I'm the approachable one <laughs> in the workshop. <laughs> Um, and I'm like, no, it's okay. Cause there's something that happens when you are singing for hours on end that you kind of just feel like you're drunk anyway. Right. You, quite, you go I into a trance and people, um, people were really happy and really connecting and really excited about singing. And it felt really good. What about a woman on crutches who actually got off the table and started to dance? Started dancing. Yeah. I mean, people were really, I, you, you wouldn't, so it was really funny. What was the funniest moment was when these two other women came in that were not part of our workshop because it was probably 9 p.m. They came, they're coming from the sauna or something. They're like, they wanted to come and do the karaoke and she, they're like, ooh, what workshop are you in? And we're like, chronic pain. <laughs> and then everyone is like dancing and singing. And they're like, what, really? Yeah, that was true. That was and true. so that was a pretty pivotal moment for me too, to be like, yeah, these people with chronic pain, quote unquote, that, you know, that doesn't have to dictate their life. And they could, that can actually take a back seat. 
and they can actually sing karaoke without fear. I didn't know yeah. that. <laughs> Maybe that's why I should start drinking beer so I can just do karaoke. Oh that's no. No. <laughs> no. Without fear. No. Anyway. Do you think that will really help your pitch? No. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but there's one producer I just want to mention who came in last year. She was walking out of the Lily on a walker and she'd been chronic pain for years, very isolated. <clears throat> and I was not optimistic that this was gonna be a productive workshop for her. And she participated. She's a very, very talented artist. So we were blown away at their art and extraordinarily nice. And we just, she had a nice workshop. And then this year she hadn't signed up for it. All of a sudden the door opens and she walks in, but she walks in with a cane, not a walker. She's walking much better. Her tone of voice has changed. And, and with the karaoke thing, what happened is that she actually got off the table and started to dance without her cane even. It was remarkable. And then we had a phone call about a month ago, a follow-up phone call with Omega. And she had gone on a road trip with a relative. She has spent a month on the road. Her voice sounded completely strong, totally different. And she's on a roll. And again, the workshop's not magic, but it does allows you to remember what your life could be like, what it was like when you were younger and healthy. And it's a remarkable experience. And I can go on a long time about this workshop, but it's based on awareness, hope, forgiveness, and play. By the way, all those have been researched in the medical literature. These are not theoretical considerations. And we do know there's a whole neuroscience of play that plays how we all develop. It's how humans develop consciousness by interacting with other humans, developing language, reading body language, et cetera. And was something that Jazz and I would talk about on the air in a few weeks about the electronics and our inability to interact with other human beings. But that play factor has actually been scientifically shown over and over again to be a critical part of human development. Absolutely. By the way, we're going to finish this part of the podcast up. I would like to mention that Jazz and I are going to start a webinar series in a few weeks we're simply going to be talking about issues related to teens, 20s, 30 years old people. Because right now our society is pretty fraught with anxiety. And we have lots of thoughts on that. And that we're going to be starting that in a few weeks. We're excited about that. But I'd like to close this part down. Just any final thoughts on just your sort of journey from a dance major to working at Omega and what you're doing right now? By the way, in the next episode with Jazz, we're going to be talking about her current situation where she's working, housing homeless people. And we know a voice of the stresses and the problems, the reaction to the stress. But I do think not having a roof over your head is one of those basic human needs described in Maslow's triad, which we'll discuss in a second. But it's pretty hard to solve chronic pain if you don't have a roof over your head. And she works with the, with the homeless. A big part of my practice was with homeless people. And so I think her perspective is interesting. I really want to get her perspective on working with homeless people. But anyway, any, any thoughts on this episode about going from a dance major to what you're doing now? Um, uh, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I think that also from 23 years old when I started this, the Tamalpa process to now at 29, wow. I've, just, I've grown up a lot. Right. And I think that having the experience of being at the Tamalpa workshops, I've, Four, We've done seven of them total. You've been to five of them. So I've done the so having that experience of doing five Omega workshops and also one of the Tolera, right. Tolera's workshops Seattle. in Seattle. Um, 
each time I feel that I'm a, I I belong even more. Yeah. And I think that that the you know going through my twenties, having had this experience, each time is just better because as I'm as I'm learning more about how this philosophy actually works, I'm also learning more about myself. So, well, Jess, thank you. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> well, Jazz and David, this has been uh, really enlightening, and it's it's very interesting to hear uh, how you've turned expressive arts therapy into a, a healing tool for, for chronic pain. And we'll be interested in to hear uh, more about it in the next in the next podcast. I want to remind our listeners to uh, tune in next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, you can visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.